James chapter 5, verse 10 and verse 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of having your word, to be able to open it up and to have your spirit within us to grant us understanding and to illumine our hearts and minds to these glorious truths that you've preserved and revealed to us to give us knowledge of who you are, instruction into how we are to live our lives in obedience to you, ways in which we can worship you. So we thank you for your word. May you bless the preaching of your word, and may uh, we be attentive to hearing from your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. I've titled this message, The Lord Is. The Lord Is. If you're going through times of trial or difficulty or adversity, remember and know that the Lord is. The Lord is, and you fill in that blank with how God has revealed himself in the scriptures with truth, with absolute truth in knowing and and seeing who God is, not with the Lord is and then our feelings of doubt and maybe God's not that great, maybe he's not being that good to me right now, but remember and know the Lord is according to his revealed scriptures. And so in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, James addresses the ungodly, unrighteous, unrepentant rich who are oppressing, mistreating Christians within the community, and he pronounces their impending judgment. He says they're condemned for how they lived their lives, how they mistreated his people, how they took advantage of and falsely accused those were those who are his. And then he shifts his focus in verses 7 through 9 of chapter 5. And he talks to believers in order to encourage and comfort them. And he instructs them how to respond to suffering and persecution. He says the Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming back. And until then, Christian, be patient. Be patient and live godly lives. Be patient. Be ready. Be holy. Display and demonstrate a living and active faith in the midst of suffering and persecution. Hebrews 10, 36 through 39, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Faith matters. And it always matters for the Christian because the object of our faith is of what is of what is of first importance, namely Jesus Christ. Our faith is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so our faith matters. James is writing to these dispersed Christians who are being persecuted and he lets them know that trials are a necessary part of the Christian life, according to God. So consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. Think rightly about it. Respond rightly to it so that you can endure, so that you can persevere and strengthen your faith and trust in the Lord to the end. And so that you're not double-minded, unstable, doubting like the one who's driven and tossed by the winds. And in order to do that, you need to walk accordingly, according to heavenly wisdom, as revealed in the scriptures. You need to know who the Lord is. He is, chapter 1, verse 5, the one who gives wisdom to all, generously and without reproach, to those who ask him in faith. He is, chapter 1, verse 12, the one who has promised the crown of life to those who love him. He is, chapter 1, verse 17, the giver of all good gifts. He is, chapter 1, verse 18, the one who in, in the exercise of his will brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures, that we would worship him. And we can go on and on just in James. 
James is addressing believers who are facing hardship, who are facing adversity, and he encourages and comforts and instructs them by reminding them who the Lord is and that the Lord will take care of it. The Lord is coming back. He is instructing them how to respond in a godly way by pointing them to the knowledge of God. He doesn't want them to retaliate wrongly. He doesn't want them to seek revenge. He doesn't want them to question or to blame him. He wants our hearts to be strengthened. He wants us to grow and be matured in Christ-likeness. He wants to strengthen our faith. He wants us to depend upon him. He wants us to trust in him. How you view and respond to trials has the potential to damage your faith. We talked a little bit about this last week. It can give rise to a heart that begins to waver, a hope that begins to fade and dim over time, an unbelief that begins to settle in your heart. Fervency to live for Christ weakens and diminishes. Endurance turns into abandonment. Patience turns into impatience. But how you view and respond to trials also has the potential to strengthen your faith. Hope in the coming of the Lord. Patience to continue to pursue holy living. Encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ. Knowing who the Lord is and being resolved to stand firm on his promises. We learn that active patience is the fruit of trust in God. It comes with a deep conviction about God's character. That is how we go through dark and difficult times and we can believe that the Lord is good, that the Lord knows everything that is going on and it's not a mistake. That is how we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and continue to obey him no matter what the situation is, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. We can endure. We can be patient. We can remain steadfast under the weight of those trials because we know God is accomplishing something greater in our lives for our good, for his glory. And that is James, his focus here as well. In these verses, James turns to the example of the biblical prophets so that it would produce in us hope. It would produce in us hope and holiness as we see more of the Lord. As we look to him, it gives us greater hope. As we look to him, it helps us to strive to greater holiness, to continue to live for him no matter what's happening. James gives us examples of patience in the midst of suffering and persecution. He points us to the prophets, and he points us to Job specifically. And so we have here two responses to help us patiently endure in hope and holiness in the midst of suffering and persecution. And they are both grounded in who the Lord is. That's the foundation, who the Lord is. In verses 7 through 9, we learn that we are to be actively patient. We are to continue to strive toward the goal with anticipation of what's to come without fear or frustration. We also learn that we we are to patiently wait and trust. We are to patiently wait and trust because the Lord is coming back. We are to patiently wait and stand firm. We are to patiently wait and strengthen our hearts because the Lord's coming is near. And we are to patiently wait in unity, not complaining against one another, but encouraging one another, being united together as his church to encourage and bear one another's burden so that we can bear under the weight of trials together. And here, as we look to the example of the biblical prophets to help us to respond rightly, we are, verse 10, to patiently wait and remember. Patiently wait and remember. Verse 10 again. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As an example, brethren, Christians, those who are born again by the grace and mercy of God. This is calling Christians to remember, to think, and to consider, and to learn. We are reminded that God's word here is sufficient. It's authoritative. Though it was written thousands of years ago, it is still living and active. It is still just as sufficient and authoritative for all of life and godliness today. What is contained in the divinely inspired word of God is God's revelation to us. It is instructive. It is trustworthy. It's life transforming. It's life giving. It's hope producing. Above all, it reveals who God is. 
the scriptures reveal who God is to us through his sovereign and providential working throughout biblical history that's been recorded down. And it's the same unchanging God that is at work in us today. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Are you lacking hope? The scripture is clear where you are to turn to for encouragement and perseverance. And, and referring to things that happened in the past in regards to Israel's failings and mistakes, it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6, now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so here James wants us to look to the examples that God has provided for us in his word of suffering and patience to give us hope and holiness. And specifically here he says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Why look back to the past and remember them? Because faith strengthens faith. Faith strengthens faith. Not just in the present, that if you're struggling, you need to draw near to the Lord and be with other Christians so that they may encourage you or so that their testimony of faith and their endurance through trials can strengthen your faith as well. But also looking to past biblical examples or other faithful men and women throughout church history who have persevered and endured can and does strengthen our faith as well. And James has been highlighting that looking to the future strengthens our faith. As we look to the coming of Christ, we can have hope, we can endure, we can strengthen our faith to the end. All of these examples show us what God has done, what God is doing, or what God will do. It's all focused on who God is. He is the source of encouragement and hope. And we find that in his revealed scriptures. James says, take the prophets. And that word take is an aorist active imperative command. It's a command for believers to remember the prophets as revealed in his scriptures. It means to take hold of, to grasp, to accept as truth. In other words, he is commanding them to take definite action in holding before their minds the example of the prophets and their patience in the face of suffering. Remember the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They can provide you with encouragement and comfort and hope. This also teaches us what, that what we are going through is not new. What you are going through is not new. There's nothing new under the sun. To you, it may seem unique, but it's really just the same gift from the Lord with a different wrapping. The, the focus should be on the response. The focus should be on our response to trials and suffering that come our way. It's also meant to teach us that we shouldn't get too caught up in the details of these examples and think that this doesn't help me at all as you look to the prophets or the life of David maybe and say, I'm not going through those same struggles. This doesn't apply to me. The focus is on seeing what God was revealing to them about themselves and what God was revealing to them about himself. And that is why we can still learn from and find encouragement and comfort through these examples that may not necessarily be anything like what we're going through. Because when you focus on who the Lord is, what he's doing, and how he helped instruct them and grow them in faith, we can learn something. We can be comforted. The prophets serve as great examples for us to remember and learn from. They also served as great examples for the early church to remember and learn from their suffering and patience as well. New Testament references and affirms the persecution of the Old Testament saints. Why did the early church who are facing persecution need to also look back to the prophets? Because they provided them with comfort and hope. Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12 says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, 
they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look what the Lord did for them. Acts 7, verse 51 52. We have Stephen's defense and sermon before he's put to death. And he calls out the hypocritical religious leaders who are falsely accusing him. And he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your father not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. In Hebrews 11, we have the hall of faith. And in verse 32 through 38, it says, What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Hebrews 11 serves as a testimony of the triumphs of faith to give encouragement and hope to persevere in holy living. Faith strengthens faith. Remember that. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the very next chapter, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We look to the prophets to give us hope and encouragement to continue on in holy living. Again, the, the hall of faith is listed, and then the very next verse, this call to turn from sin, to pursue holiness and godly living. That's what we are to do as well. Now notice what it says at the end of verse 10 in James chapter 5. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord who spoke in the name of the Lord. James is indicating that their suffering came from their service to God. Their suffering came from and came about because of their service to God. And it's the same today. And that's why 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. It's for Christ's sake. It's part of his plan for us. When you boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you stand firm and don't compromise in God's truth, when you call people to repent and believe in Christ or they will go to eternal hell, suffering and persecution will come according to the will of God. It will come according to the will of God. What that looks like and the degree to which that takes place is going to be different for each one of us. But know that faithfulness to the Lord, faithfulness to the Lord will not be accepted by this world or Satan. It will not be. And so you can expect suffering. You can expect difficulty, just as the prophets did when they spoke in the name of the Lord. But they also provide us with an example of persevering and enduring patience. Prophets in the Old Testament had had two main functions, two main functions, foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling is predicting the future, and forthtelling is the message of repent and trust in God or you will be judged. And guess what? Their primary ministry was not one of predicting the future. It is one of forthtelling. Around 90 to 95% of their message was one of forthtelling. That means very little comparatively was predictive. And so we see the message that the prophets announced brought about persecution. And the message that we are to announce and proclaim the gospel 
will likewise bring about persecution. That is why the New Testament, if you think about it, that's why the New Testament is filled with instruction for believers telling them that they can expect it. Persecution is coming. Suffering is coming for the Christian. Expect it. The scriptures are also filled with how to respond to it, how to view it rightly, because God expects us to make disciples. God expects us to go out, proclaim the gospel, this message in the name of the Lord that calls people to repent and believe in the only Savior of sinners in this world, Jesus Christ, or else judgment is coming. Because God is holy and he must punish sin. It comes with a cost. God expects us to make disciples and he knows that suffering and persecution will come. So he has given us word to prepare us for it, to make us ready so that we can stand firm in his promises. God expects us to make disciples and he knows that it comes at a cost, but not one in which he is not sovereign over and working for working in for the good of his people and ultimately for his glory. And we have to remember that. You will suffer, but God's promise is you will also be blessed. You will also be blessed. And that's what James will talk about in verse 11. So patience, endurance, steadfastness, a resolve to stand firm in the midst of suffering and persecution is the blessed cost of following Jesus Christ. It's a blessed cost. You cannot be my disciple, Jesus says, unless unless you deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. How is your commitment to Christ? How is your commitment to Christ in the little things? How is your commitment to Christ when there is no persecution? Do you love him more than anything or anyone else in this world? Are you devoted to serving him no matter what the cost? No matter what happens, can you trust in his word? Can you trust in his promises? When we think of the prophets, we we think of Jeremiah. We think of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Elijah, Elisha, Micaiah, Hosea, Amos, Daniel. The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord a message of repentance and judgment and who stood firm, who stood firm for the Lord. And isn't it interesting that they suffered not for doing what was wrong? They suffered for doing what was right. They suffered for what, for doing what was right. Job was greatly afflicted because he was a man of integrity and righteousness. Job 1-1 characterized him as a man that was blameless, upright, fearing God, and one who turned away from evil. Job chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright people. Suffering can come as a result of your own sin. It can come, could be a result of the loving discipline of your heavenly father. It could be the result of another person's sin. But it could be the result of doing the will of God. It could be the result of doing the will of God as an obedient slave and child of Christ. But like Job, We don't blame. We don't complain. We respond rightly. We persevere. We're patient. We stand firm. We trust in the Lord. We remember the examples of the prophets that the Lord has given to us and how the Lord worked in and through their lives and revealed himself through their lives to us, that he's trustworthy, that he will avenge them for all the wrongdoings done against them, And that leads us to the second response to help us respond rightly in the midst of suffering. First, patiently wait and remember, verse 10. Secondly, patiently wait and know. Patiently wait and know, verse 11. It says, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We are to know that those who persevere are blessed. We are to know that. We are to know that the Lord is sovereignly in control of the outcome. That he has a purpose for it. That it's intentionally used by the all-knowing God for a good purpose. We are to know that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. 
Verse 11 begins with an imperative command connected with a promise to call us to pay attention, to call us to know this. He says, behold, pay attention, know this. We count those blessed who persevere. We count those blessed who persevere. The implication is that you will be blessed if you remain steadfast. You will be blessed if you remain steadfast. If we know this, this should encourage us to continue to persevere and not to give up and not to lose heart in doing good because we know that in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. James 1.12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Matthew 5 verse 10 Again, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12 of Matthew 5, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. James is reminding them of this great truth that the Lord has promised because of who the Lord is. Because of who the Lord is. Then he turns to the example of the perseverance of Job. Job. He says, You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The example of Job is provided to teach them something about who the Lord is. The example of Job is provided to teach them something about who the Lord is. And so we're given something else that we are to know about the Lord. Job was acquainted with suffering. He was acquainted with suffering and he knew that it was a part of life. Job 5 verse 7, for man is born for trouble. Job 14, verse 1, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Job knew that suffering was a part of life. He also viewed life and suffering with God in mind, with God in mind, and he responded properly. Job chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. In Job chapter 2, verse 10, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. He there is not other people. He's talking about the Lord. Job did not blame God. Job did not blame Satan. We have to understand that Satan's goal was not to see Job suffer. It was not, Satan's goal was not to see Job suffer. His goal was to see Job sin against God. His goal was to see Job sin against God in his suffering and to turn away from him. But Job looked to the Lord. Job looked to the Lord in hope. And he continued to be faithful and did not doubt. And this doesn't really make sense to the unbeliever. An outsider can observe and say to the suffering Christian, I would never believe and trust in a God who does this to you. I would never trust in a God who brings these kinds of circumstances into your life, who takes your children away, who takes everything that you have away. Does God really care about you? Does God realize how much you're going through right now, how hard it is for you? Does God really love you? It's foolishness to those on the outside looking and watching Job suffer, refusing to blame God. His own wife said to him, curse God and die. But Job endured and persevered. Why and how? Job endured and persevered. Great trials and adversity and difficulties. Why and how? Because he had the right knowledge of who God is. He had the right knowledge of who God is and what God is doing. James says to them in verse 11 that they have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The ESV translates it as they have seen the purpose of the Lord. They have seen the purpose of the Lord. Again, these examples are to teach us, and they are to teach us about who the Lord is. What was the purpose of the Lord in Job's trials? What was the outcome of the Lord's dealings? Job patiently endured, but for what purpose? What was God doing? To test his faith, to prove it genuine, 
and to strengthen his faith, to strengthen his faith, thus enabling Job to see God more, to see God more clearly that the Lord is who he says he is, and he can be trusted. Job 42, verses 1 through 6, he came to know the sovereign goodness of God on a deeper level. He says to the Lord, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Deeper understanding. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Though at times Job cried, he complained, but he repented and he refused to renounce God. He stood firm. He trusted in him. Rather, he declared in Job nineteen twenty-five to 27, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. What an amazing passage. Job looked forward in hope, and confidence that after he was dead, his Redeemer would vindicate him in the glory of a physical resurrection in which he would enjoy perfect fellowship with the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He looked beyond his suffering to who the Lord is, what the Lord has promised, and he took hope and encouragement and comfort in that truth. And he was able to persevere and endure what the Lord was doing in his life. So it is with God and his purposes for us that our trials and hardship and suffering are all used to purposely prove the genuineness of our faith, to strengthen our faith, to give us a faith that is tried and tested and true, enabling us to see him more clearly, to see more of God as he is working in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure and to look forward to the Lord's return. In those difficult moments, don't you hold on to Christ more? Don't you cling closer to him? Don't you depend upon him in a greater way? Doesn't knowing the Lord and who he is help and encourage and comfort you to press on and to patiently endure because the outcome and purpose of the Lord is certain and we can hope in him? James ends verse 11 with something else that we are to know. He says that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The Lord, in other words, has an enormous and overflowing capacity for compassion and mercy. God is full of compassion as he cared for Job in his suffering, and he is merciful as he forgave him his sins. And we can know that God is full of compassion and cares for us in our suffering and that he is merciful as he forgives us our sins. And we see that in the example of the prophets and Job. It gives us great comfort and encouragement. Even to those who are in the midst of suffering and persecution, God is good. God is sovereign. God is faithful. He is full of compassion and mercy. In the end, Job was blessed. In the end, Job was blessed. It says in Job 42.10 that the Lord restored the fortunes of Job and increased all that Job had twofold. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons for generations. What a great blessing if you know the story of Job. This was according to God's will for Job. For Job. This may not be the case in every situation. So don't take the, the story of Job and see how God blessed him in his lifetime as something that you should expect from the Lord as well. God blessed Job according to his will for Job. The promise of those who persevere being blessed is certain. That's a truth that you can hold on to. 
That's a promise that you can believe in and have conviction upon, that those who persevere will be blessed. That causes us to look to Christ and forward to his return. The prophets patiently waited for the Messiah, for the Savior to come and suffer in their place. If you read the prophets, they knew and they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And it's during this time that we sing a song called, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. You know what Israel was going through at that time? Great difficulty. They had to look to the coming of the Lord, their Messiah, to rescue and deliver them. And what is the next word in that song? Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. They're going through this difficult time. They're looking to their Messiah to come and rescue and deliver them. And they say, rejoice. Rejoice. They believe in the promises of God. They know who the Lord is and what the Lord will do. They think they can take comfort and encouragement in knowing that. And we are to patiently wait for the second coming of the Lord and remember their example as they patiently suffered and endured, trusting in the Lord, making the Lord known as the Lord was making himself known to them and to those around them. They were prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And we can have confidence in Christ that he has accomplished salvation and is coming back according to the trustworthy and authoritative word of God. You will go through suffering. You will go through suffering. But remember and know that God is at work. God is at work sanctifying you so that you would see him more clearly. And that God is at work showing the preciousness of your faith to the world and displaying his compassion and mercy to the world. The end of verse 11 tells us the reason and the lesson for the endurance of Job and the outcome of the Lord's dealings. It says that people would see that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Job went through a life of suffering and persecution according to the will of God so that people would see that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. That who he is would be put on display through the faith of his people who persevere and endure suffering and persecution. That is why we can expect it. That is why we must endure and stand firm through it and trust in the Lord. We are to remember and know. We are to remember and know. That means that we are to think. We have to use our minds. We have to think. Minds that are being renewed by the scriptures. Thinking should always involve God. Our thinking should always involve God. Our minds and hearts are to be so wrapped up in Christ that his word richly dwells within us and that it has an impact and influence in everything that we do and in how we respond to every situation. Examples of the lives of people in scripture are given to us to ultimately reveal and teach us something about God. Examples of the lives of people in Scripture are given to us ultimately to reveal and teach us something about God. They do allow us to be encouraged and comforted at times when we relate to those people. But again, that is not the purpose. I do not want you to miss the purpose. The purpose is not ultimately the example of those men those fallen, sinful men. We do learn from their examples. You take David, a man after God's own heart, David and Goliath, we can learn that God is trustworthy. We can also look at David's failures and David and Bathsheba and learn that God is a forgiving God. We are not just to stop at those examples and try to relate and justify maybe even certain sins according to how they lived their lives. Peter denied the Lord. Oh, it's okay if I do that. No, what did... What did Peter learn about the Lord? That's what we are to focus on. That is what we are to know and remember. 
purpose is to help us to know God. Help us to know God so that he can be our source of hope and encouragement and comfort. And so that he can receive the worship that is due to him alone. Our trust is in the Lord. And so what we need to remember and learn more about is God in those examples than the people in those examples. But we are to look to those examples. Scripture tells us to. Scripture commands us to. To look to the examples, especially of the prophets. Now that brings up some questions and implications for us to consider. If we are to take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, and that is to be a source of instruction and and hope and encouragement for us in times of difficulty and persecution, in order to use the prophets as an example and learn from them, the implication is that we know the prophets. We know their stories. We know the Old Testament. So the question is, do you know the Old Testament? Do you know really the majority of your Bible? Do you read the Bible? Do you read the Old Testament? The Old Testament oftentimes gets pushed to the side. It's boring. It's long. I don't understand it. All I want to read about is Christ. All I want to read about is Christ in the New Testament. Christ is revealed from Genesis. And if you know the Old Testament, you see how much more trustworthy God is, how much more faithful he is, how loving he is to such a disobedient nation that he chose for himself to be his own possession. And through their disobedience, we learn great things about the Lord. He's merciful. He's patient. He judged them for a period of time, but he will restore them. He will use them in the future. God is faithful to his promises. We can trust him. We learn all of that through the lives of the prophets and especially knowing the Old Testament. So I would encourage all of us, if you haven't read the Old Testament from Genesis to the the beginning of the New Testament, read the Old Testament. Endure and persevere patiently through it. It will serve in a great way for the Spirit to grow and increase your understanding of the Lord. It will help in times of trial and difficulty to fall back on the truth of who God is and who the Lord is. They serve; they are to serve as examples for us of suffering and patience in order to encourage and comfort and strengthen our faith as it shows, again, more of who the Lord is. And let's just quickly summarize some of the Old Testament and see how these examples really do teach us about who God is. For Job, we learn that God is right. God is right in everything that he does. We cannot blame him. How about the major prophets? Isaiah, God's salvation through the suffering servant. God has a plan for his people to redeem them, to save them. Jeremiah, God will establish a new covenant with his people, Israel. Lamentations, we learn about God's faithfulness. Ezekiel, God's restoration of his people. Daniel, God's sovereignty over all affairs. Believers and unbelievers, kings, and just common people. How about the minor prophets? Hosea, God's love and judgment. Joel, God's power and judgment. Amos, God's fairness and judgment. Obadiah, God's vengeance and judgment. Jonah, God's mercy to Gentiles. Micah, whose name means who is like God. God's transcendence and judgment. It's all about amplifying who God is, revealing who he is. Nahum, God's faithfulness and judgment. Habakkuk, God is trustworthy. Zephaniah, God's purification and judgment. Haggai, God's blessing and obedience. Zechariah, God remembers his promises and he will not fail us. Malachi, God's messenger is coming. We can hope in him. All of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, it all points and reveals who God is. And we have to get to that point. We have to see what the scriptures are teaching us through these examples to grow in our knowledge of God. We have the examples and testimonies of how God used and what God was doing in the lives of these people in their triumphs, in their failures, to point us to himself. That we would trust him in the midst of suffering because he is faithful, just as he was with the prophets. 
We shouldn't read about, again, the life of David or the Apostle Paul or Job and come away exalting them. We should rather come away seeing more of God who is working in and through their lives to accomplish his perfect purpose so that we would worship him. We can't just stop at seeing their experiences. We have to see the God behind it and over it. Again, I'm not trying to discount experiences or these examples in Scripture. They're divinely given to us so that we can learn and be instructed by. They tell of the works of the Lord. They tell of what the Lord has done. They tell of his providence, and we are to rejoice in them. But with a view to and in relation to how it helps us to see God more. This tells us that we don't need to have the same experiences in order to relate to or to comfort others. And that's just a practical applicational level. We don't need to have the same experiences in order to relate to or comfort others. And that's the gift of having the scriptures. That's the gift of biblical counseling, that you use the sufficient, authoritative, trustworthy, inerrant scriptures to be able to counsel anyone in any trial to address their heart. Because Romans 15.4, the scriptures are the source of perseverance and encouragement where you find hope. If you know the scriptures, you can grow, you can be encouraged, you can help others who are in difficult times go through trials in a way that helps them to see God more and trust in him more. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We are to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort that we've been comforted with by God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that because I have suffered like you, therefore I have inherent authority and insight. In other words, moral authority does not come from experience. What it does mean is that the power and blessing is the comfort that you have received. It's the, the grace that you have received. It's knowing Christ. And so that is the comfort that we all comfort each other with in any affliction. Christ and who he is and his word. His word is what is authoritative and sufficient, not our experiences. God's power and grace is made manifest in our weakness, but the things that gives us the ability to speak into someone's life is the nature of God's word and knowing Christ. The nature of God's word for what it is, what it reveals, what it teaches, and knowing Christ. It's not necessarily our pain. It's not our suffering. And oftentimes when we see Christ, the clearest, clearest is in those difficult, darkest valleys. But what we are sharing with others who need comforting is not our suffering, but Christ. Christ. We can comfort anyone in any affliction because we know Christ and we can point them to Christ. Christ is our comfort. Hebrews 4.15, he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was he has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 2.18, he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, and so he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. We are to show them Christ. We are to Colossians 1.28, we are to proclaim him. We are to point them to Christ. Help them see their greatest hope, and that hope comes from Christ. Notice also that specific details of their suffering are not listed out because that's not the point of this passage. The point is that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful and we can endure patiently and persevere. We have a long history of God's people doing the same because we have the same God who is working out his purposes, displaying his sovereign goodness and faithfulness to all. This also means that we are, to, we are all to be examples to one another. We are all to be examples to one another. We can all comfort one another in the midst of suffering. Again, we can all comfort one another in the midst of suffering. We can be sharers in suffering and we can be sharers in comfort. We can encourage one another to persevere 
and remember and know who the Lord is and that the coming of the Lord is near so we can have hope and continue in holiness as we see more of him and help others see more of him. Any trial, suffering, or persecution that we face can be patiently endured in chapter 5, the context, by anticipating the Lord's coming, to know that it's near, he's right at the door, recognizing the Lord's judgment, not only upon the wicked who deserve it, but also as he comes to deliver the saints who the Lord will assess our every thought and deed. So we are to continue to live rightly before the Lord, remembering the example set by the Lord's faithful servants, understanding the Lord's blessing, that those who persevere are blessed, will be blessed, and realizing the Lord's purpose and knowing that the Lord is. The Lord is. The Lord is. There's nothing too difficult, too hard for the Christian to endure in this life because we have the Holy Scriptures given to us by God himself. We have the family of God to surround us with love and comfort and encouragement. We have the Spirit of God empowering us to believe with great conviction and faith to strengthen us during these times. And the example given to us in scriptures of the prophets who endured much and great difficulty at the expense of their own lives, most of them losing their lives for the sake of Christ. And so we are not without hope. We are people who are not without hope. That means also that we are people who should not fear, but we are people who should trust wholeheartedly in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples revealed to us in it that are meant for our instruction that we may grow in hope. Thank you that we can learn from your scriptures who you are. It's really the the only way, saving way, that we can come to know who you are. We know that you reveal yourself in nature, but you also, more importantly, reveal yourself in your written scriptures. Help us to look there for hope. Help us to look there for comfort. Help us to look there for encouragement. Help us to counsel others with your word. Point them to who you are so that they can know more of who you are and trust in you and hope in you. We thank you for this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.